name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let us turn to God in prayer. Our dear, gracious, heavenly Father, again this evening, our grace, we have that grace and privilege to be gathered around thy holy and eternal word. And thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is a strong fortress for those who are oppressed and who are in trouble. They can flee into it and find refuge. It is food and nourishment unto our undying soul. It is a light for us as we journey through this sin-darkened world. So we do thank thee for thy word. Thou hast prepared it, preserved it throughout the centuries so that we can even today read thy word knowing that it is, it is thy word, thy revealed will unto us. Preserve that word, dear Father, and preserve us in it. May it be that the enemies of our soul, the enemies that would seek to destroy and overcome and do away with thy word that they would never prevail. And above all that we would not succumb to the onslaughts of the enemy of our soul, but that we would prevail through thy given strength and faith unto the very end. So preserve us, dear Father, both young and old, and all who have gathered here in this evening hour of grace, grant that we might lay hold upon thy promises that are in thy word, <clears throat> that we might lay hold upon them with faith. And we know that even that is a gift from thee. All good things must come from thy hand. And we wait upon thee for all that thou would grant unto us. And this evening we wait upon thee also through thy word and thy spirit to impart unto our hearts and souls that which is that nourishment which it needs and which carries us from day to day as we journey upon this earth. Bless those who cannot be with us, the sick, the infirm, the aged, the shut-ins, and all who have asked for our prayers and who experience troubles and warfares and are in perplexities and, and in the midst of cares and trials. Strengthen the faith of thine own and preserve each and every one of us in this precious living faith until that day when faith shall become sight and hope attainment. Hear us in our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Next song, number 428.
Greetings of grace and peace from God our Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, be multiplied unto all of us here gathered this evening. It is my prayer that God, by the power of His Spirit and through His Holy Word, would minister to each one of our hearts this evening in such a manner that together we would be uplifted, comforted, strengthened, and encouraged in this journey of faith that will one day take us to our eternal homeland. It's important for us to remember that we are on a journey, and the end of our journey is heaven. I believe the day and age that we are living in, we can so quickly forget some of these things. We come to church, which is well and good, but we don't really, truly realize and acknowledge the main purpose for it. We can almost begin to do it out of mere habit. We need to be reminded, as Brother Wilford this evening already in the opening prayer has so beautifully reminded us concerning the word of the Lord, what wonderful, wonderful substance it is. The word of God is the bread of life. It is also referred to as the water of life. It feeds our undying soul. It quenches our thirst. The word of God does these things. 
It uplifts us, it comforts, it strengthens, it encourages us on this journey. And we all need that encouragement. We all need that uplifting and inspiring. So may God draw nigh unto us by the power of his Spirit and grant to us not only the revelation of his word, but ears to hear this word and hearts to receive it and believe it. Remember, the Bible teaches us without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. There's no way, there's nothing you and I can do to please God without faith. I don't care how sincere and dedicated you are in your, your beliefs. If your beliefs aren't mingled with faith, it's of no avail. You cannot please God. Well, how do we receive this faith? The Bible teaches us faith comes how? By hearing. And hearing what? The Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's why when we come to the house of the Lord, it's important that we come praying. Praying to God that God would be merciful to us and by his Spirit grant to us the revelation of his word and give us ears to hear that word and hearts to receive it and believe it. So we come into the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and we find ourselves walking by faith and not by sight. Paul in his letter to the Romans tells us, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. If a person doesn't find himself justified by faith, he will never, ever possess the peace of God that passes all understanding. Do you see, beloved, how important it is that we are hearers and believers of this word? Don't look to me nor any other servant of God even to feed you, but pray to God that God would grant to your servants the revelation of his word and then strengthen those servants in proclaiming this word in such a manner that we can hear the voice of the Good Shepherd in that message. We heard tonight through the words of the songwriter how beautiful, how beautiful the name of Jesus is. And when we were singing that song, I couldn't be, help but be reminded of what Paul wrote to the Philippian believers concerning the name of Jesus. He wrote with these words, the second chapter of Philippians, verse 9, Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, referring to Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is how high God has exalted his Son and the name that he has given to his Son. It's above every other name. Did you know that the Bible in describing Jesus 
He is described with 103 different names. You might say, well, why would the Bible refer to Jesus with 103 different names? How do we know that it's referring to Jesus when he's got so many names? Well, it takes that many names to describe how beautiful and wonderful he is. It does. He's referred to as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace. There is no peace outside of the Prince of Peace, and that's Jesus. He's referred to as the Rose of Sharon. You might say, well, what is the Rose of Sharon? Sharon is a pasture land in Israel, and uh, Jesus is referred to as the rose of that pasture land. We think of a rose as something very, very beautiful and attractive. Jesus was the rose of that pasture land. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the rose of all roses, beloved. His name is Wonderful. This evening I would like to meditate with you I'm going to read but one verse and pray that God, through this verse, would lead us where we should be going this evening. It's found in the 127th Psalm, and I'm going to read the fourth verse. Psalm 127, verse 4. And that verse reads as follows in Jesus' name. One thing, and this is David's prayer, this is David's desire unto God. One thing have I desired of the Lord. What is that one thing that he has desired of the Lord? He tells us, That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. The desire of David was this, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David had learned what a beautiful, beautiful place the house of the Lord is. In one other psalm, David has written with these words, I was glad when they said, Let us go into the house of the Lord. What do you suppose it was that made David's heart so glad to know that he can go to the house of the Lord? What was the attraction there that made him so glad to think that he can go there? It's there in the house of the Lord that the bread of life is broken. It's there in the house of the Lord that the water of life is distributed. I can go to the house of the Lord and be refreshed. I can go to the house of the Lord and be strengthened for this pilgrimage. I can go to the house of the Lord and be comforted. How? Through God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. There's no truth outside of Him. There's no life outside of Him. There is no other way but Jesus. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And he is that life that has come down from heaven. 
And not only physical life, but eternal life, beloved. Eternal life is only to be found in Him. It's not in the work of our own hands. Yes, it happened to Cain. You know the story of Cain and Abel. Cain diligently labored in the fields, and he brought a sacrifice to the Lord, the best of his labors. And the Lord didn't accept that sacrifice. His brother Abel took care of sheep, and he took one of the little lambs from that fold and killed it and offered it unto the Lord. And the Lord was so pleased with that sacrifice. Have you ever thought on these things? Was the Lord not fair with those two brothers in accepting one one's sacrifice and not the others? Oh, it speaks a very important message to us. As we've already heard, Cain was a tiller of the ground. And the best of his labors, his labors, he brought this sacrifice to the Lord. Well, I think that was very respectful on Cain's part. Working out there hard and laboring, and the best of his labors, he brings that sacrifice to the Lord. But it wasn't good enough. It didn't satisfy the Lord. Whereas his brother Abel really didn't do anything but took care of those sheep. And the sheep had little lambs, and he took one of the little lambs and killed it and offered it to the Lord. And oh, the Lord was so pleased with that. Pictured in that sacrifice of Abel's is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. It tells us that Abel had nothing of his own to bring, but only give that which God has already given to us, namely his son Jesus. You know, Paul in his letter to the Philippians writes like this, and I find this to be so precious as he puts it. He said, I count all things but but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count it but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him. Listen carefully. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. There's the difference between Cain and Abel, beloved. And we must keep in mind, Cain and Abel were brothers, and their parents were Christians. I don't believe that Adam and Eve taught Abel one thing and taught Cain another thing. I don't believe that. I believe they taught both of their boys the very same thing. Well, how is it that one turned out like he did and the other that he was pleasing to God? As we've already heard, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible warns us. The Bible in so many places tells us don't walk in the vanity of your own minds. We all have a tendency to walk in the vanity of our own minds. I think this is the way it should be. I know you think this is the way it should be. But you remember what Solomon said. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end of that way is death. 
oh, it seems so right to your way of thinking, but the end of that way is death. Don't walk in the vanity of your own mind. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. We must trust in the Lord with all our heart. This word, we put our faith in this word, believing that in hearing and receiving that word into our hearts, it's going to keep us on the right road that will bring us one day to heaven. So then, these are some of the reasons why David was so glad when they said to him, let us go into the house of the Lord. Here David's prayer is, his desire is, and he says, I'm going to seek after this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, notice, all the days of my life. That's the best place in the world to be, in the house of the Lord, inquiring there in the temple and beholding the beauty of the Lord. Have you, dear listening friend, beheld the beauty of the Lord? And I would want to talk about that a little bit tonight. Because I believe, I believe with all my heart, soul and mind, when a person has beheld the beauty of the Lord, he no longer can behold anything beautiful in this world. But until he has beheld the beauty of the Lord, it seems like everything this world has to offer is so beautiful and so wonderful to the flesh. And it is that way. But once a person has been allowed to behold the beauty of the Lord, we don't see anything beautiful in this world anymore because there is no beauty any longer. We have new eyes that we behold things with. And the thing that we behold above everything else is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a good example of this in the scripture with the Apostle Paul. You remember Paul's life before he became a Christian. He was a Pharisee. Oh, he was defending the law of Moses. With the arm of flesh, he was persecuting the Christians and binding them hand and foot if they talked about the name of Jesus. This is the kind of a man he was before he was a Christian. But when he was blinded on that road to Emmaus or Damascus, Damascus, he became a beggar. He began to cry unto the Lord, What wilt thou have me to do? And you know the story. He was led. He was stricken blind. He was led into the city. The Lord told him, Go into the city and there it will be told you what you must do. He was led into the city and he was three days and three nights. He didn't eat nor did he sleep. Why didn't he eat? Why didn't he sleep? He lost all of his taste for food. And he was afraid to sleep because of his spiritual condition. He knew now if he dies, he's going to awaken in the torments of eternal damnation. What was he doing those three days and three nights? The word tells us he was praying. He was praying. Did God hear his prayers? He sure did. Because God called on his servant Ananias and told him to go, go into the city, into the street called Straight, because there's a man that's praying over there. 
But when Ananias learned who it was, he said, No, Lord, I've heard about this man, all the evil he's doing to the Christians. The Lord had to convince him, No, he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before all the Gentiles. So Ananias went. And when Ananias laid his hands on him and proclaimed to him the glad tidings of the Lord Jesus Christ, the word tells us the scales fell from his eyes. What do you suppose he saw? He saw the beauty of the Lord. He received peace onto his undying soul. And the fire of God's love began to burn in his heart. He became a new creature in Christ. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, he spoke of it. He said like this in his letter to the Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's the power that God uses to save those that believe. I hope none of you have become ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That is a beautiful message. The word gospel means glad tidings. You might ask, what are the glad tidings of Jesus? I guess I could put it in these words. The forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. The wages of sin is death. Not only physical death, but eternal death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You remember God sent his Son into this world to suffer, to die, and to shed his blood. Why? So that sinners like you and me could have our sins forgiven. And when that burden of sin has been lifted from us, and God pours into our soul the gift of the Holy Spirit, and his love begins to burn in our heart. Believe me, the string of our tongue is now loosed, and we begin to render praise, glory, honor, and thanks unto God for the wonderful gift that he has sent to us in the person of his son, Jesus. We have beheld the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. This one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I might remain in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, there to behold the beauty of the Lord. There to behold the beauty of the Lord. I shall never, ever forget when I beheld the beauty of the Lord, what an impact it had upon my young, tender heart. I wasn't very old. I was 14 years old at the time. But up until that time, I had never, ever needed to hear the sweet, comforting message of the gospel proclaimed to me. I had never found myself as a sinner. I was brought up in a Christian home, a wonderful Christian home. We always went to church and Bible study and Sunday school. We were always there. That was our life. I never found myself as a sinner. But when God had worked in my heart, 
the knowledge of my sin, what I am from the standpoint of flesh. And sin became exceedingly sinful. I didn't even dare sleep at night because I was afraid. What if I die in this condition? I already knew in my own heart where I would spend eternity. But I couldn't do anything about it until when I was in confirmation and I was able to talk with my pastor about the burden of my heart. I could have talked to my mother. I could have talked to my Christian brothers and sisters. At that time, my father was not in faith, but he was a very, very upright, good man. He wasn't living in ungodly ways, very strict in his own ways. But he didn't find a need in his heart even until later in life to attend church regularly and so on and so forth. But God took a hold of him also in the late years of his life and prepared his heart for the receiving of his son Jesus. But going back to myself, when I really needed help, someone to save me from my sins, when my pastor proclaimed to me the gospel of Jesus, that, dear young brother, you can be assured and you can believe. Today, all of your sins forgiven in the name and through the blood of Jesus. God lifted that burden of sin from me and he filled my heart with peace and joy. So, with a loud voice, I found myself praising and thanking God. Through this man, Jesus, my sins are forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven. There's no question or doubt about it in my own heart or mind. And mind you, at that age, I was praying to God, send, send your angel of death now, this very moment, to take me from this life. I don't want to live another hour. I want to come home to heaven. I beheld the beauty of the Lord. Have you, dear friend beheld the beauty of the Lord I think of this so often not that that's my salvation I don't base my salvation on that because I was blessed at that time but I know the burden of sin was lifted from me and I received that assurance to my soul that I am one of his children and I am on my way to heaven and as I speak of these things I don't want anybody to think that that's what I'm making my salvation on, basing my salvation on that one repentance. I'm not. But a wonderful thing it was, though, to behold the beauty of the Lord. And I believe that's where we behold the beauty of the Lord. But that's not the only time we behold the beauty of the Lord. I was sharing with my wife just yesterday, because yesterday morning when I was walking, I usually walk quite early in the morning, several miles, and... And for some reason, this verse just came to my thoughts. And I couldn't dismiss them from my mind. And about an hour later, when my wife came out there, I told her she came to join me in my walk. And I told her what I've been thinking about. And I said, it's been so wonderful. I've had such a wonderful fellowship with my father. And this was the verse that I found myself pondering. And as I was walking there and thinking about my years of labor even in Michigan, Tapiola, Michigan. 
And bear with me, I'm talking about seeing the beauty of the Lord. And I've already explained how we see the beauty of the Lord when we really need the Lord and when the gospel has been proclaimed to us and God has given us the faith to lay hold on that gospel. And that gospel has accomplished that for which God has sent it, removed our sins from us. We do behold the beauty of the Lord there, but we behold him elsewhere too, beloved. And I'm going to share this a little bit with you, and I ask you to bear with me. And ask God to give you ears to hear this story aright. You know, we that labor in the Lord's vineyard, don't think we don't have our ups and our downs, our good days and our bad days, our temptations like everybody else. There's many, many times that it seems like there's just no way can we continue this labor. It just seems like we, we're like a car that's going to run out of gas. We start chugging along and soon the car dies out and it doesn't go any place because it's out of gas. I have felt that way many, many times in my labor. But there was one elderly woman in that Tapiola congregation. She was old. She was in her 80s. And here I'm just a... 37, 38, 39-year-old kid, you might say, laboring in the Lord's vineyard. But God had blessed her with, with special gifts. And her house, it was nothing to speak of, but it was a beautiful house. It was a beautiful house. I often said in my own heart, oh, if, this, if she ever put this house up for sale, I'd buy it immediately. And I don't care what I had to pay for it. It is so beautiful. I never examined the house, but it was beautiful. What made it so beautiful? This woman did. She was an angel of God. And when I felt like I just am all out of gas, I can't go on anymore, I'd stop in there for coffee or something. And I'd leave from there and it seemed like I'm all gassed up and raring to go again. God through her just uplifted me and strengthened me and encouraged me to continue this all-important labor. We would have fellowship there and she'd be putting wood into the, her wood-burning stove to keep the house warm and as she'd put the wood in a the stove there'd be tears running down her cheek as she was sharing the truths of God's word with me and I, oh, it was so precious to sit there and listen to her talk it was just wonderful. I didn't even see the house, so to speak, but like I've already described, it was beautiful. Because I didn't see the house. Had I bought the house and paid a top dollar for it, and all of a sudden I would have realized, what did I do? What a foolish man. i got to replace all the windows. I've got to replace this. i got to replace that. The house was old. And it, everything would have had to have been replaced and done over. But I didn't see any of that. All I could see was the beauty of the Lord in that house. The beauty wasn't in the simplicity of the house. The beauty there was the Lord ruling and abiding in that house. And it blinded me to what the house was like. Because every time I'd enter that house, I'd feel that warm cozy, loving feeling in that house. 
I'd go into new houses and I didn't feel that. And that's why that house was so beautiful. And really, to the naked eye of man, it wasn't. You see how the love of God, how the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ blinds us to this world's beauty? It does. And these were some of the things that were revealed to my heart yesterday morning when I was walking. You know, when the beauty of the Lord is what it ought to be before our eyes, we see nothing beautiful when it comes to this world's substance. But we see the beauty of the Lord wherever we go. It is true, beloved, we need to behold the beauty of the Lord. That beauty of the Lord that we behold is going to uplift us, it's going to strengthen us and encourage us in our labor in the Lord's vineyard. People are going to see it. They are going to see it in us. David, in the first verse of this 27th Psalm, says like this, The Lord is my light. The Lord is my light. I might say like this, bear with me, I'm not saying this woman was that light, she was a light. Not the woman itself, but Christ in this woman that I've talked about. The beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ was manifested through this woman, and that's what I beheld when I went into that house. It was beautiful. We are the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the light of the world. God has made us that light in the midst of the darkness that is in the world today. We are those lights. The Lord Jesus Christ in us has made us beautiful creatures. The Bible tells us all that are in Christ, all that are in Christ have become new creatures. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that's what the world should see in us. When we behold the beauty of the Lord, when we behold the beauty of the Lord, this is the impact it has upon us. And that's why David said, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in the temple. Why do we love Jesus? Why do we love Jesus? The Bible answers that. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Because he first loved us. Now the Lord tells you and I, his children, we are to love one another just as the Lord has loved us. He tells you and I, don't love in word nor with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Isn't this the Lord Jesus Christ? His deeds... And the truths of the Lord Jesus Christ have been made manifest unto us. He has proven his love to us through his deeds, his actions. They have been made manifest. You all know the golden verse of the Bible. For God so loved the world. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. You see, that love in his heart for you and I, that's how much he loved us. That love motivated him, constrained him in giving his only begotten Son, Jesus. The Bible tells us Jesus himself said, Nobody has taken my life from me. Nobody has taken my life from me, but I have laid it down for the brethren. Yes, we know that cruel, ungodly men laid their hands on Jesus and nailed him to the cross. Jesus tells us, no, that's not true. Nobody took my life from me. I laid it down. I have laid it down and I can take it up again. The Father has given me that power. What are we talking about? We're talking about the love that was in the heart of Jesus. How it motivated him and constrained him in doing this. We love him, why? Because he first loved us. And he's proven his love to us by his actions, by his deeds. He didn't only come and tell us, I love you, I love you. One another, just as the Lord has loved us. We lay down our lives one for another. That's what we are told to do. Our deeds, our actions, our motives must prove to others. We don't even have to tell them that we love them. They're going to know how much we love them because of our deeds and actions towards them. That's the way the Lord wants it. That's the way it should be. Jesus even said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. You've heard that it's been said otherwise, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Pray for them that persecute you and despitefully use you. That's a commission of the Lord to us. What do we do when someone speaks evil of us and hurts our feelings? I know what you do. I know what I do and what I'm quick to do. Go and tell everybody else about it. Do you know what so-and-so did to me? And he calls himself a Christian? You see what kind of substance this flesh of ours is? And yet we exalt ourselves to be holy and righteous before other men? Not so, beloved. Jesus sat and ate with the publicans and with the sinners. There were those, the Pharisees, that were righteous in themselves who murmured and say, what kind of a man is this? Look at where he is, eating with the publicans and the sinners. Well, Jesus said, I came into this world to seek and to save those that are lost. That's my purpose of coming into this world. Well, how am I going to seek or find them if I'm not in the midst of them, showing to them and pointing out to them how much I love them? I don't love your deeds, I don't love your actions, but I love your undying soul. And that's where we have to look, beloved. We are to love our enemy, our enemies. We're to do good to those that do evil unto us. 
That's what Jesus has done. We've all spit in his face. We've all slapped him in the face with our sin, turned our back upon him. Did he give up on us? No. He went to the cross of Calvary. There he took our sins and he paid the price for our sin debt. And then when he hung between heaven and earth and they were laughing and and accusing him and speaking evil of him as he hung in agony and pain on a cross, Jesus prays to the Father, Father, forgive them because they don't understand. They don't know what they're doing. Don't hold this against them, Father. They're ignorant. They just don't understand. That's the heart of Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, as we read in John's Gospel, in the 13th chapter, and I think this is a ties in very well with the beauty of the Lord. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. This is a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this, listen carefully, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one to another. Now isn't that a beautiful light? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The beauty of the Lord we behold in the family of God. Their conduct, their attitude, their behavior, all of it just points out to us the love of God that has been shed abroad in their hearts. And we reach out to the unsaved with that compassionate heart, not like the priest and the Levite. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? How a certain lawyer came to the Lord, tempting him, asking him, what must I do that I might inherit eternal life? Jesus referred him to the law. How readest thou the law? How do you understand the law? Well, the lawyer answered. He knew the law inside out and backwards. He answered, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus answered and said unto him, This do, and you're going to heaven. This do, and you shall have eternal life. You're going to have eternal life if you do this. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. The lawyer then, willing to justify himself, said, Well, who is my neighbor? Well, then Jesus spoke a parable. He said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell amongst thieves. And those thieves uh, tore off his raiment, stripped him of his raiment, beat him up, wounded him, and left him by the wayside half dead. Well, here comes a priest along. A priest should know what to do. A priest comes along and looks at him and just goes on his way. Here comes a Levite. A Levite is one that assists the priests in their labor. He looks at that man there and goes by on the opposite side. 
Neither one of them are motivated by love. Neither one are motivated or constrained by the love of God to do something with the compassion and the mercy of the Lord to do something for this man. Here comes a good Samaritan. Here comes a Samaritan. And the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. He looked upon this man and he had compassion on him. Took him up. Poured in oil and wine into those sin into those wounds. Put him upon his own beast and took him over to the inn and told the innkeeper to take care of him. He gave him two pence and told him, Whatsoever you spend more than this when I come again, I'll repay you for it. And there won't be any expense on your part for taking him in and taking care of him. You see the compassion, the mercy that this man had towards this poor man that was left there half dead? So then Jesus, after he got through, he asked the lawyer the question, which one of these three men was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? It's no longer who is my neighbor, but who can we, who can we be a neighbor unto? Who, which one of these three was neighbor to that one that fell among the thieves? Well, the lawyer answered, the one that had compassion. And the Lord said to him, you're right. Go and do thou likewise, and you will have eternal life. Why did the Lord tell him that? Because the Lord knew that he wasn't able to do it, because no man is able to do it on his own. The Lord had to point out to him what kind of substance his flesh is. You seem to be so right. You know the law inside out and backwards. You have no love, no mercy, no compassion, nothing in your heart that would resemble me. Just like the priest and the Levite. Look at the half dead and pass by and offer nothing to help. That's what the lawyer was like. Now go and do what that Samaritan did and you will have life. Well, the lawyer immediately recognized, I can't do it. I don't have it. You don't have what God has in store for his own children. But you know, we can find ourselves in that very same boat today. We are living in a day and age, and I believe we are living in the very times that what Jesus, when he spoke about the last times being perilous, perilous times are going to come. I believe we're living those times. And when I say I believe we're living those times, I feel that the church is desperately suffering something. And I say the bottom line of that something is the beauty of the Lord. We don't seem to have that compassionate, concerned heart for those that have been wounded in battle. It seems like we can stand back and maybe we can judge and condemn very freely and say, well, we've done our job. The Bible says if you see anybody living in sin and you don't want to warn that person, you don't want to warn that person that sin is going to be upon your hands on the day of judgment and you're going to pay that person's sin debt. So we go and we warn a person in a very judgmental way and we say, well, we've done our job. We've done everything we can do and they don't listen. I don't think we've done our job. I don't think we've done it. I know we haven't done it. Because that isn't the way the Lord did it. 
I asked the question, why did the sinners and the publicans, what was it that drew them to Jesus? Jesus said, I judge no man. The word of God says, God didn't send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus said, I judge no man. But the word that I have spoken, the same will judge every man on the last day. You and I have been asked to preach this word, motivated, enlightened, and inspired by the Holy Spirit. We, don't, we aren't wishy-washy when it comes to the truths of God. We stand upon the word of the Lord. But what kind of a heart, what kind of a spirit are we motivated by in standing upon this word? Is it the spirit of flesh? I've been there. Believe me, I have been there. I have been that Peter. And I know what I'm talking about tonight, beloved, because I have been there. Remember when the soldiers came and laid hands on Jesus to take him to be crucified? Peter stood next to Jesus, took his sword, and he cut the ear off the high priest's servant. Now, Peter was doing that, defending Jesus, defending the truth. Jesus is that truth. He was defending the truth when he did that. Jesus told Peter, put up your sword. They that take the sword are going to perish with that sword. That isn't the way we work in the Lord's vineyard. No, it isn't, beloved. And I had to go a long ways before I learned that lesson. God hasn't called us to judge any man. Judge not lest you be judged, he said in his Sermon on the Mount. He's just asked us to preach this word. Preach it by the revelation, the enlightenment, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let the word do its work. We have no right to judge any man. Let the word judge. If the word doesn't judge man today, that word will judge him on the last day. Like Jesus said, I judge no man, but the word that I have spoken, the same will judge every man on the last day. I'm so happy. I am so free today. I don't have to judge one person, and I won't. God hasn't called me to do that. He's called me to preach this word. Preach it as we've already heard, by the revelation, the inspiration, and the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, motivated by that love and compassion of the Lord. And I believe that is exactly what drew the people, the, the sinners and the publicans, onto Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men onto myself. Yes, there was a time when I... I shouldn't even say I feel, but I was quite judgmental and condemning of others. God had to purge that from me. And it was such a hard thing. It was like a new birth in itself again. I agonized for months. I wept for months. I pleaded night after night with God that he would grant me mercy and strength to go through with what I knew I had to go through with take care of these things. It was terrible. It was hard. It was crucifying to the old man, but that's what the old man needed. It had to be crucified. 
And God had to purge those things from me. I'm so glad I can stand on this truth, motivated and constrained by God's love and his spirit. Now the word will be effective. Now it will do its job. And we're not going to be cutting off ears like Peter did. Incidentally, the Lord Jesus restored that man's ear onto him. Because you know what happens when we cut people's ears off. They're never going to hear anything. God gave us these ears to hear with. And we cut them off. How are they going to hear? How is this man going to hear, Peter, when you cut his ear off? So the Lord puts his ear back on so he can hear these truths. And that's what we do. God help us. That we can go motivated by the love of God in this labor in the Lord's vineyard. We're talking about these things because we're talking about beholding the beauty of the Lord. Let me ask you this evening. Our time is rapidly past. When David here tells us this one thing I desired of the Lord. What is your desire? What is the desire of your heart? What thing do you desire more than anything else? We all desire things. And those desires we labor after. Whatever that desire is, we're going to try and press for that desire so it comes to pass in our lives. You know what your desires are. Are they like David's desire? To remain in the house of the Lord all the days of your life, there to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, sit there learning of him, asking questions, growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to get to heaven by the work of your own hands. You're not going to get there by your own strength. It's only through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not your church attendance. And I speak of some of these things because I know how the devil works. The devil will gladly send you to church. But when you're there, your thoughts are, well, what is that minister going to get through preaching? My goodness, I'm not going to sit here all day. And you don't even hear what's being preached. But the devil will tell you, well, you're a good person. You went to church again. Communion Sunday, you come up here for communion and, well, the devil will even tell you to ask for forgiveness. Then he tells you afterwards, well, now you're a real good Christian because you even asked for a blessing today. And we have a tendency to believe those things. And they're big lies. That isn't how we receive peace. That isn't how a Christian conducts and lives his life. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. The devil always wants us to look upon things that we do or don't do and then tells us we're good for this reason or that reason. And we don't even think of Jesus as being that reason. It's our own endeavors, our own doings and deeds. God help us. God strengthen us in these times that we are living in. May we be granted ears to hear and hearts to receive and believe this word. And I encourage you above all things, those that God has called and ordained to preach this word, remember to pray for them day and night that they wouldn't, with the arm of flesh or with their own 
inspirations, inspirations of the flesh or whatever, come here to this holy place and proclaim this word, but that they would be constrained and motivated by God's love, enlightened by his word and strengthened by his spirit in proclaiming this word so God would be glorified. That's all God has asked us to do is preach the word. Those that hear it and believe it will be saved. Those that reject it, they will be damned. God help us. God strengthen us to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we pray? Gracious and loving Father, we thank thee for this beautiful day of grace. We thank thee, Father, for the blessings of this day, the natural blessings as well as the spiritual blessings. We thank thee for this evening's time of fellowship. We thank thee for this, thy word of truth. And we ask, dear Father, that thou would take this word and bless it into each of our hearts, both young and old alike. Allow it to germinate and begin to bear fruit, fruit that would be to thy honor and glory and for the nourishment and the salvation of our undying souls. And now we ask the Lord, bless us and keep us. The Lord, make thy face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord, lift up thy countenance upon us and give us peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. There's coffee prepared uh, for all downstairs. Everyone's invited. Tomorrow evening there'll be services in Ashburnham at 7.30 and Friday at 7.30. And then Saturday morning here, uh, confirmation school from 8 to 1 and lunch will be served. And then on Sunday, confirmation at here at 10 a.m. And in Ashburnham there'll be a service at 11 with lunch following and two with meal following and five o'clock. In closing tonight, we'll sing song number 376, and during the singing of this song, we'll carry a free will offering for the benefit of the church.